0: Hi everyone, this is Anne. Welcome to Lapsed, a podcast about growing up Catholic. We are bringing you something a little bit different this week. This is our first ever best of episode where we do a little throwback all the way back to season one, to our conversation with Father Anne. We have a lot of new listeners, so maybe you didn't hear it the first time around, or maybe you did hear it, and you want to re-listen. As a reminder, Father Anne is what it sounds like. She's a female Catholic priest. She was um, legitimately went through all the as you'll hear in the interview, went through, you know, all the formation and was ordained through this movement in the U.S. and really across the world of women being ordained as Catholic priests and then, you know, unfortunately, swiftly excommunicated. Uh, Father Anne, since our interview with her, which I just I love listening back to it, it it was just really a lovely conversation. And since then, Father Anne has continued her work as a Catholic priest. She presides over masses. Um, some of those you can see online. She was featured in a documentary about women uh, women priests in the Catholic Church. If you go to fatheranne.com or if you follow Father Anne on Instagram, you can see what she's up to now something that i think is fun to share so this this interview you know Steph and i did a while ago with father ann and afterwards she asked uh, for our mailing addresses and i thought that was very nice i remember thinking oh maybe she's one of these you know, God bless one of these like written thank you note people, which I always love, and I I'm I don't write as many written thank you notes as I should because um yeah I just think I think it's great when people do that. Uh, but what I did end up getting from Father Anne, and I don't think she would mind me telling you this, is. A thank you note, but also a hat, a hat, a winter hat that says Father Anne, like embroidered on the front. And if you look through her Instagram, you might see her wearing the same hat. Her name is Anne with an E, which is also my name. And I will admit, I absolutely love this hat. And I have not worn it yet because I it's like so on the nose and I, you know, I'm not Father Anne, but I feel like the fact that it has my name on it might confuse people. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. I, should should I wear the hat? Maybe Maybe I'll take a picture and put it on our Instagram feed just to at least show that I have it. I have held on to it and I love it dearly, but yeah, I just, I haven't worn it yet. Haven't quite found the right occasion, you know? Anyway, yeah, so we love engaging with you. Thank you to everyone who has joined our Patreon. Um, we've been having some fun there, engaging with folks. I just sent some videos out to folks uh, for the holidays. Patreon.com slash Laps Podcast. You can follow us also on Facebook and Instagram at Laps Podcast. We love to hear from you. So please continue to reach out, continue to engage. Uh, leave us reviews on Apple Podcasts. We love it. And yeah, uh, Please enjoy this interview uh, with Father Ann. And next time, we will be back at it uh, with a brand new episode. So enjoy. And also with you.
1: We appreciate your engaging with us because I know some people wouldn't want to. (laughs) We've heard that in some of our reviews. (laughs)
0: Right. (laughs) tell you about negative reviews. I was going to say, I'm sure you know nothing about that. (laughs) Don't fall asleep. I will. I will try not to. You also don't fall asleep. (laughs) I do my best. (laughs) <laughs> I'm Ann Magnamy Keels. And I'm
1: Stephanie Shavera. And this is Lapsed, a podcast about growing up Catholic. How are you doing today, Steph? Well, I'm a little sleepy. <laughs> but I think that comes with the whole pregnancy territory absolutely does
0: and this is also Mm -hmm. we're doing the evening recording again which as we know can get a little loopy it's a little wacky (laughs) it's exciting you never know never know what's gonna happen Whole different person when the sun goes down it's funny because we worked in theater and that is a thing that happens in the evenings right i used to be up so late (laughs) with rehearsals I don't know. I don't know. I can't do it anymore. It's a different thing. I think I'm fresher in the mornings. Maybe it's a Catholic thing. Maybe. Sunday mass, get up, go to church, you know, bright and early. It's our time. It was always so painful. Yeah. It's not like I enjoyed the early (laughs) rising. No. Well, Steph, we have a very exciting guest today. We certainly do. Father Ann Tropiano. Father Ann is a Catholic woman priest. She's had a lot, a lot of great coverage recently. I think I first happened upon her in the New Yorker. So I can tell you and our listeners a little bit about Father Anne. Please do. So Father Anne was ordained on October 16th, 2021, in Albuquerque, New Mexico with the Association of Roman Catholic Women Priests. She is committed to seeing women welcomed into the priesthood within her lifetime. She has a deep love of the Society of Jesus, which blossomed over 12 years of ministering with Jesuits. She earned a Master of Divinity from Jesuit School of Theology in Berkeley and has worked in multiple parishes in the Jesuit West Province. While many have understandably walked away from the Roman Catholic Church, Father Anne chooses to obey the Holy Spirit's call to collaborate with God in bringing about gender equality in one of the most powerful institutions in the world. It's exciting.
1: The more we keep getting to talk to new people, the more I am astounded by all these different paths (laughs) that were out there amongst uh, the choice of staying, going, lapsing, unlapsing, figuring out your place in it. So I'm very excited about this conversation.
0: I am super excited. And, you know, she's also an Anne with an E. So uh, the name, it grabbed me. I have to be.
1: Anne with an E. <laughs>
0: Any fellow Anne or fellow redhead, I'm like, are we best friends? It's just, Forever. it's a thing. It's, you know what? I feel it with curly hair as well. I feel like you and I have I that. Do that commonality as well these little along with being catholic these little identifiers these way we ways we identify (laughs) with people so find our brethren yeah so very excited to talk with father ann all
1: right here we go
0: thank you father ann so much for joining us So many questions, and so much we would love to hear about. To start with, this is a podcast about growing up Catholic. So, I was wondering more generally about what kind of religious or spiritual kind of landscape did you grow up with?
2: Great question. First, I want to thank you both for having me on. It's a privilege. I really appreciate it. And I also want to tell you, I really appreciate the space that you are creating. I know you consider yourselves lapsed Catholics, but I think it's really important. It's really important for lapsed Catholics, people who have left the church, to talk. And it's also important for us to hear Mm. what lapsed Catholics have to say. So personally, I'm really grateful for the ministry that you are providing. Oh. Uh, My upbringing uh, in terms of religion, well, My dad is an immigrant. He was born in Italy. My last name is Tropeano. And he came over when he was 10. Now his family was Catholic and he was Catholic, but he left the church. And to be honest, I don't really have a lot of details about that. Mm -hmm. But it was sometime I have three brothers, um, two older, one younger. And it was sometime after my youngest brother was born, but was really little and my mom was the daughter of two immigrants, Irish and Italian, so Catholic, and she (laughs) was a faithful Catholic up until about, I think my youngest brother was two, so this is what I've been told, I was four. So Catholicism was sort of in the air, but we never went to church, so I guess a parish priest you know how it works. Somebody got assigned, a new pastor came in. And from what I understand, my mother really didn't click with him and my mother and father were divorced. And so I don't know what what, or if that played any role in how she was received by this new pastor, but she clearly didn't feel welcome. And so she left. And I really don't feel that I grew up Catholic. However, I was pushed through the sacraments, for lack of a better term. I made my first communion. (laughs) Wow. And I had nothing between first communion and confirmation. Mm. And my mother had passed away when I was 14. So when I was old enough to get confirmed, my father said it was time to get confirmed. So it goes to show you just how deeply rooted culturally the sacraments Mm -hmm. are, especially for Italians and Italian-Americans. And so I did. I mean, I was an obedient daughter and I got confirmed. And I remember standing up there thinking, I have no idea what I am doing here. (laughs) And after confirmation, I had no relationship with the church in any way at all until I started to experience my call. In my very
1: late 20s, early 30s. That's wild.
2: Yeah. So we didn't even talk about Jesus really at Christmas.
1: I have to ask, did you pick a confirmation name?
0: I was just wondering that. (laughs) I was wondering the same.
2: (laughs) I knew you were going to ask me that. And I'm going to be completely honest because I saw you had an episode. And I was thinking, I was actually thinking, this you're going to crack up. Should, I was thinking, should I lie to them about this? Because I cannot remember the confirmation name, which wow. goes to tell you how little the faith was actually integrated into right. yeah. my life at that time. So that's the full truth. <laughs> Question mark. So, Yeah, question mark. I'm going to have to find my confirmation certificate and look it up. I have a feeling it's the same name. I have a feeling I didn't – I just went with my name. Yeah. Ann Ann. St. Ann, yeah. Good one.
1: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That must have been such a surreal experience to stand up there in your, like, early teenage years when everyone else may have been practicing this and you're just like, ah. Yeah, and I'm sure also
2: that I had some preparation – Uh, because, you know, you have to go through preparation generally. Um, And I I have a vague memory of maybe having some monthly meetings, but I don't, in general, I just don't have a great memory. And to be honest, I don't spend a lot of time thinking about the past. I'm very rooted in the present and extremely focused on the future. Mm -hmm. And so I really don't, I don't remember. And I also, that may be just an indication of how little impact, whatever the formation was had on me at that time, which may have not been the fault of the church, but certainly where I was at uh, 16 years old, having just lost my mother at 14. Mm -hmm. I mean, just not really ready to receive. I'm sure that was also part of it.
0: So you kind of talk about not revisiting Catholicism until your call. Um, you know, I think, <laughs> I don't know about you, Steph. For me, well, Stephanie, you also didn't go to Catholic school until high school. I feel like we would occasionally. Just <laughs> <in>
1: and-
0: <laughs> the CCD versus Catholic school, uh, you know, <laughs> a little war we've got going on. So when I think about anyone talking to us about religious life growing up going to Catholic school, it was just a couple times. But I do feel like there were at least a couple times where a priest or a nun would come in and talk to us about feeling called to religious life. First of all, I feel like it was not taken very seriously as a real option for us, even by our parents. Maybe maybe that was just me. But also for me, I know personally, this idea of a call sounded really intriguing <laughs> at the same mm-hmm. time. <laughs> and even as an adult, this idea of the call, uh, yeah, is really interesting to me. So I'd love to know kind of what that felt like and looked like for you.
2: Yes, the... The call story. (laughs) I always try to think about how to enter into this because it's obviously got a lot of layers. I'm sure. Yeah. So I guess I'll start with, I was managing a band at the time I started experiencing my call. I was totally immersed in the secular world. I didn't know anyone who practiced the faith that I knew of. I came to find out later that a a member or two of the band did practice a Christian faith, but it wasn't something talked about. So I started to experience a spiritual slash physical sensation. It felt like a being trying to get my attention, trying to connect with me. So it was weird. I'm I'm not going to lie. I mean, it was very strange. And for a while, I thought, you know, I might be kind of crazy. Um, but it was a persistent beckoning sort of experience. And so I started to seek. I started to seek spiritually, sort of in secret, because in the meantime, I'm managing this band, and I'm working these part-time jobs, and I have a lot to do and a lot on my plate. But I did start to do some reading. I read New Age Spirituality. I found some Buddhists to sit with. I went to a non-denominational church. And I did even go to a Catholic church. And in retrospect, it was just sort of, I guess, a typical Catholic experience of a really terrible liturgy. You know, it it didn't move me in any way. I was seeking for about, I don't know, I think it was about a year. And I mean, this, this sensation would keep me awake at night. It was so powerful. And finally, I remember just becoming so frustrated because nothing that I was doing was helping me to connect with what was speaking to me or who was speaking to me. So I remember getting really frustrated and I threw up my hands and looked up and yelled, I cannot find you. And so if you want to talk to me, you are going to have to make it happen. And I just stopped seeking. I think a couple months later, of course, the experience, I mean, it was all day, kind of every day, you know, especially at night. So a couple months after that, I got an email from a friend I went to graduate school with and she was just giving me an update on her life and she entered RCIA, the right of Christian initiation for adults. And as soon as I read that, I mean, the instant. I knew that that was the answer. I went wow. down to my local Catholic church in Ocean Beach, San Diego. I got into the RCIA. And as soon as I was in there, I just started crying. Like it was in RCIA that I started to finally understand who God is, who Jesus is. So then fast forward, um, you know, I had the sacraments already, so I didn't get welcomed at Easter because, but you know, I kind of walked with the people mm. and then um, the band, we moved to Portland. We happened to find a band house a half a mile away from a church. So I'm kind of like trying to go to mass. And at the same time managing this band, I was starting to live an increasingly double life. When we moved to Portland, we moved next to, very close to the Jesuit parish. And I went to mass there and it was transformative. <laughs> It was just, it was transformative. So I started to go back there and it was at St. Ignatius that I came into relationship with God where I actually learned how to pray. And from there, actually connecting with that being that was beckoning me, that was where everything in my life really changed. The communication opened up with God and then after finally connecting, it sort of I guess I kind of experienced this deepening in a uh, a few ways, which is one, now that the connection was there, learning how to discern, meaning learning how to understand how God was communicating with me, but also having the experience for the first time in my life, of being part of a community in relationship with God. It was a very active, alive, amazing community that I am greatly indebted to. They really taught me what it was like to be a mature adult Catholic. So they were critical. And then from that experience, really uh, going on to hearing the call. So once I could discern... Then I started to hear more clearly the call to be a Jesuit priest. So once I heard that, I just kept thinking to myself, I'm not, I must not be hearing that correctly. So, I mean, I did do the spiritual exercises. That's a kind of an important piece of St. Ignatius. And so I was, it's like, well, I mean, Lord, I, I can't. So am I hearing you correctly? So I spent some time really trying to figure that out, like, living out the call, oh, well, maybe I'm supposed to minister to Jesuits. And so I did that. And then I did every liturgical ministry that you can imagine that there is. You know, I did that. And I became a pastoral minister. And then I finally went to seminary. And then finally I even ran a Jesuit parish. And all of those things were critically important to my priestly formation. But then it got to the point where I can no longer grow in my vocation anymore by being obedient to the magisterium and so i had to make the choice and so i chose to be obedient and continue to choose to be obedient to the holy spirit and that leads to a disobedience to the magisterium so that's that's kind of in a nutshell how the vocation unfolded
0: i love that (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I really appreciate your description because I find that very moving, this idea of feeling compelled to to find something, right? This idea that you're looking for something, I appreciate you putting it in those terms.
2: And I will say, you know, it is the initiative, it's God's initiative. I mean, it's not mine. I'm only responding to God's initiative. And, you know, this, this idea of vocation, I mean, I think one of the drawbacks in the way that the church has historically presented, vocation has been quite limited. You know, the vocation to religious life or the vocation to marriage. And it's so much more than that. It's The vocation is God loves us into being and calls us to use who we are in that relationship for the world. So we all have a vocation, whatever that is, And it is really taking on your vocation, whether it's to be a mother or to be a broadcaster or to be a teacher or to be a nurse or to be an artist, whatever it is. Like that is the expression of God coming through you and out into the world. So vocation is accepting that invitation through that loving response. I
1: don't know how to put this, but. You were open to hearing this call. Did you find you were somebody who was always open to hearing something like this? Or was this like, like wait, what is it coming from?
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, 20 years ago, if you told me I would be a Roman Catholic priest, I would say <laughs> you were nuts. <laughs> I mean, I can't believe where I am now in my life. So how can I say, I mean... I had a difficult upbringing, and it really, it took me a lot. I mean, it just took me a lot of years to be in a place where I could even hear.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah, to be in a place of wholeness or maturity. I'm still working on wholeness (laughs) and maturity, let's be honest. (laughs) We all are. Agreed. So I wasn't. I would not have been capable. Yeah. I do
1: feel I was you know, kind of gripped by the spirit and brought along. Well, I I just, I love that you're being obedient to one element of this path and Mm -hmm. being disobedient. I don't know. I like to be a disruptor myself. So (laughs) the idea of being disobedient just catches my ear. And I'm sure you were, I'm sure you were told, and I know I've read in some of your interviews that you've been up against some obstacles in this path. Were you ever Told to become, uh, like, try to be a nun or try a a different path within the church when you knew that was the wrong path? Did you also hear that call inside of you?
2: I never really heard, maybe because of my age, no, I was a much later vocation. I never heard really the invitation to become a sister, though Mm. I did do a couple, what do they call them, look and sees. I did Mm. do a couple vocational weekends with different places. But what I heard a lot and wish I had $5 for every time I heard it was, why don't you become Episcopalian? Mm -hmm.
1: I mean, yes. I mentioned this recently (laughs) on the podcast, but it's like Episcopalians seem to be where Catholics go when they want some more female empowerment.
0: Yes.
2: I mean, they're very close because they have all the sacramental feel and the sacraments and the liturgy. But they are open to women and mm-hmm. uh, affirming of the LGBTQ community. So,
1: yeah, I mean, there's like an exodus happening. Was it ever tempting to you to just be like, okay, this is too much? No. You know, it really it,
2: it hasn't been because, because I hear so strongly from God that my vocation is a priest reformer in the Roman Catholic Church. Right. That is what God is asking me to do and so I am going to do that
0: for God. Love
2: it. Yeah, so it's never been really a question.
0: So it sounds like I imagine your social world there were a lot of other Catholics, there were probably other Jesuits. It sounds like that was sort of <laughs> you just sort of kidding. Going as far as you could, right, as a woman uh with Yeah. So were you concerned about how your decision that it you know you you had to pursue becoming a priest, how that would impact your relationships with people in the church. Yeah. And how did that shake out? I just imagine that would be so emotionally complicated.
2: It's really sad. It's such a a grief that I will never get over. And mm-hmm. I I actually liken it to especially okay, there's a couple facets. So one is the relationship with the society of Jesus. Because mm-hmm. I am a Jesuit and I can no longer work with Jesuits. And so they are not in my life. I have a couple friendships that are really close to me, but I was with them communally side by side in ministry. And that is gone. And that will be gone for the rest of my life probably. And I actually, the analogy that I use to think about it interiorly is that it is similar to the death of my mother Mm. in that It is a hole that I just have to accept. It can never be replaced. And I need to not try to fill it with things because it can't be filled. So just to honor the great gift that it was in making me who I am and living with that. So it is a permanent deep grief that I will always live with. As far as friendships, I have wonderful friends from seminary who are extremely supportive. Unfortunately, none of them live in my town, but they are cheerleaders. A lot of them are younger women. I do have Jesuit, a couple Jesuit friends who are extremely supportive and they have been mentors and they're still in my life and provide me with guidance and support. I have lost friends, Um, one close friend. is It's really been quite sad. And I'll tell you, another thing is not just the relationships there. I mean, really missing being part of a Jesuit community, the actual people, not just the Jesuits, but the communities themselves. Like eventually I hope to build that, but that's going to take a lot of time. And I just miss being in that very much. So, you know, it is, it's very difficult, but I also find a lot of grace in that I wouldn't necessarily be in so many ecumenical spaces. You know, Roman Catholics aren't, especially priests, aren't known for being super ecumenical. Um, And this has really put me into spaces that are very different. And I have found immense support with the ecumenical church here in Albuquerque. They've invited me to come to their services and preach. They're becoming friends, which also opens my mind and perspective to hear about their traditions and to be with their people and have them teach me. So, you know, it's complicated. There's a lot of loss. And there's also just this tremendous amount of grace as well.
0: Hmm. Can you talk a little bit about, and I know this has been written about, I really love your choice of the use of the term father. As someone who grew up Catholic, it makes so much sense to me. But can you talk about that choice?
2: I'm so glad to hear you say that. You know, it's been a real, what do they call it? Like a lightning rod. I mean, it really has, it's really created a lot of energy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's a great way to put it.
2: (laughs) Uh, So... I chose Father Anne. I mean, it just was so natural. I I can't even say that I really put a lot of thought into it. It just was a natural inclination for a few reasons. One, what I'm trying to do is deconstruct the symbol of priesthood and reconstruct it with my being. I'm trying. So, so much of Roman Catholicism, as you know, is it, it really relies on symbols to do the work and they are so critical. So, The symbol of a priest now is collapsed with the male form. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to expand the symbol to include the body of a woman. So it is about the title, but it's also about the fact that I wear clerics. I'm kind of distinct in the Roman Catholic woman priest movement in some ways. There are some women who wear clerics as well. But I go by father. I wear the clerics. I'm celibate as well. I'm a traditional Roman Catholic priest in a lot of ways. And celibacy is just part of my call. It's not something that I feel should be legislated. I think there are a small number of priests that are called to celibacy, and many are called to marriage. And it should be something that's open and discerned. So I'm trying to really embody the traditional Roman Catholic priest. Using the title father, I'm trying to make people think about that. And, then, and also, i It is a bit mocking, I'll admit. It does mock (laughs) the idea that women cannot be priests. So it kind of mocks the idea, but also confirms that I am a real Roman Catholic priest. And frankly, it's just fun. I mean, it just has a really nice ring to it. And it's doing all the things that I hoped that it would do. And, And it's doing it much more powerfully, actually, than I could have imagined. Yeah, it taps into a lot of feelings that people have. Mm-hmm. about clericalism, sort of the, the non-binary or trans. Um, it just, it kind of, it pricks sort of these spots that people have very strong feelings about.
1: There's something about it for me. The idea of father and priest always lifted priests away and above People, mm-hmm. which is why there's been problems with the priesthood, right? There's been an, I, I'm above some of the rules, yes, this of it, and by having you say the words "father" and "Anne" <laughs> together, <laughs> it pops that bubble in a way for me, and it yeah. and it brings you, it brings the office back down because it makes me either laugh or question, right? I'm just like, oh, that's startling and new, and so I it's not. While being able to have reverence for the office that you hold, like the position that you hold, and being a real Roman Catholic priest, it's still like, it takes away some of the um, pedestalness of it yes. in a way that I, I love. It's a humanizing, I suppose.
2: Interesting. And that's kind of the clericalism piece, you know, that the priests are the ones who know best, right. and the priests are more holy than the lay person, all of that stuff. That's interesting to hear you say that. Yeah, the negative reaction I've gotten is just, you know, really, people in the reform movement are just, I mean, frankly, they're appalled that I've chosen father because it's traditionally male.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
2: And I think that that speaks to the hurt and woundedness and frustration that some people cannot see that I'm trying to deconstruct it. Mm -hmm. So, yeah it's, it is very complicated
0: I think Stephanie and I both are I mean we could talk about that the whole interview <laughs> Stephanie and I are, bo- okay. are both language people you know we're both theater people and very interested in language so um well you know so much of this podcast too has been about for me at least growing up Catholic Catholic almost does become a language that you speak right without thinking about it it makes me those moments where you can stop and look outside outside of it I mean when I hear for instance, a friend who is Mormon talk about elder or someone that's that's very unusual phrasing to me you know I it, yes. it I notice it, but hearing father is so normal <laughs> it's so normal and growing up I mean it was like you know if you're at an event and oh father is here it doesn't matter which father I know what someone <laughs> is talking about when they say father <laughs> is there and my my grandmother I mean the biggest was like Monsignor is here and it's oh, like yeah. everyone drop everything my grandmother right. <laughs> worked at the rectory for I don't know the rest of Monsignor's name he was Monsignor and right. that's
2: it. What else does matter, right? That's all yeah. that matters.
0: <laughs> I just understood he was deeply important. Um, so the way that became normal and that father had this other meaning and you just take that for granted, I think there's something. Um, to me, it makes sense to put that before the name of a, a clergy person, of course. In some ways, it feels strange. In the other ways, it's like that's the most natural thing in the world. To, to yeah, agreed. You're a priest. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. And lots of interesting gender stuff to think about. and Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: I've mentioned this before myself, that I've tried to fight with my Catholic teachers, Catholic school teachers, for quite a while to change the things I didn't like about the church. Mm -hmm. And... That struggle was – and still continues to sort of break my heart a little bit, just trying to get people to listen. And as a teenager, it's hard to get anyone to listen to you anyway, uh, <laughs> let alone people in positions of power. So, you know, you're talking about this deconstruction and the opposition and losing friends and all of this, and yet, you know, you stood by your calling, you listened, and you're standing, staying true to, to yourself. And I'm curious, what is it about – the Catholic Church, you've mentioned, I, I think you said, uh, God, God is calling me to be ordained in the Roman Catholic tradition and to work for justice. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious how your relationship with the Catholic Church, on the one hand, like what is it that you like really love about it and that you cherish? On the other hand, what is it that you are hoping to challenge or what justice are you seeking? So it's a sort of a two folder. <laughs>
2: Yes, it's a great question. So I would just start by saying my mission is to see reform in the church, the question of ordination in my lifetime. So that is my personal mission. I want to be welcomed into the institutional church as a Roman Catholic priest before I die. I would also like to see other reforms of course, of the sexuality teachings. And there's structural reforms that need to happen. But the focus of my life is that particular piece of doctrine. And I I would say, you know, what nourishes me, what I love about the church is certainly the Eucharist. The Mass is absolutely foundational. And the sacraments. But even before that, I guess I would say it's really, I guess, the frame of how the Catholic Church understands and talks about God as the Trinity. Mm. And this incarnational God, the Trinitarian principle of God constantly incarnating, breaking into our everyday lives, communicating, being with us that's so embodied through the life of Jesus. That way of understanding God is what speaks to me the most. Deeply, and I find it—I find it to be very true. And the sacraments then tap into that reality, and um, connecting God not only with us as individuals, but as a people through the sacramental experience. And so, you know, all the world really is on fire with the sacramental presence, and we have these primary sacraments that help for us to experience and be transformed by the divine or divinized, you know. I would also say, so, you know, liturgy, the sacraments, Catholic social teaching, absolutely. It is the foundation. I mean, Jesus was a person who died at the hands of an imperial power at the request of a corrupt religious leadership. Mm -hmm. So it speaks volumes about what we are called to do and be as human beings on this earth I mean that is what we are called to so um, you know this the walk of spirituality and Ignatian spirituality the society of Jesus all of that to me is yeah it's I, I love it I, I just it makes me I'm so even with all the problems of the church I'm just so grateful to have this vocation it's like the I can't imagine having a better life than being a Roman Catholic priest and walking with people in their lives, helping them encounter God and deepen their spirituality, being with them at the most important moments in their lives, like weddings and funerals. And I mean, I'm so proud to be a Roman Catholic priest and so honored that God has asked me to do this work. So I'm faithful to it, even though there is a lot of problem. I mean, There's, <laughs> just, there's a lot. A lot of
1: problems. I feel like the way you describe how joyful it makes you like, shouldn't that be exactly what we want in our priests? Right. Yeah. I really hope that your wish comes true.
2: And I think it's hard for them. I mean, to be honest, we keep talking about this quote unquote vocation shortage and it, it, what it does is you want to know why you have shitty preaching at Catholic churches because you have one priest who has to say mass, five times a week, and he's got a same ass on Sunday. There's no way he can properly prepare to do that. Mm -hmm. He's running a business on top of it, which he was never trained to do. You don't learn how to run a business in seminary generally. I think they've added some courses lately. But I mean, so they are, it's immoral, the stress that is placed on these men. It is. So how can they be joyful when they're literally being worked to death? And they're trying the best that they can, you know, right. like they just really are. And so the whole body of Christ is contracting because of some of these issues. Obviously, it's much more than that. It's the sexual abuse crisis. It's the clericalism and the not trusting lay people. It's these models, you know, these ecclesiology where it's the priest who's in charge of all the governance You know, even though there are pastoral councils and stuff, you know, a new pastor comes in and he can just undo everything that was done. So people are tired of that kind of stuff that we don't want to be treated as children. We are thinking, praying, mature adults that want to participate. So all of that leads to too much pressure on a person who doesn't have enough help based Mm -hmm. on the way the church is structured. Mm -hmm. So how, I mean, and still some of them are very joyful and they they do the best they can, but in general, it's just, it's impossible. Mm -hmm. And it's immoral. I I just, I want to reiterate that. It is immoral what the church is doing in that regard, not just for women, but for the entire body and for the priests who are uh, leading
0: right now. That's a useful framing, I think, and it's interesting. This idea of of a shortage, right? I think pe- of of people interested in becoming priests, right? Quote unquote. <laughs> um, yeah, I've certainly that's something that is talked about, but framing it that way is so important because, yeah, none of us can do our jobs well when we are, you know, just. I mean, it's funny, it actually reminds me of so many of the conversations happening right now among moms and parents of how do I do all these things, especially when many of us had kids at home and we were working. It's like, how do I do all these things at once? I can't be a good mom when I'm being stretched so thin. And it's sort of the same thing, right? You're being asked to be be a parent. I mean, people are calling you father, right? In many ways, the idea is that you're in that pastoral way, that you're Mm -hmm. sort of in that role for people and that you you don't have the the capacity or the bandwidth. Right. I'm curious if you're if you'd be willing to talk about so I've heard catholics especially the catholics I grew up with. I feel like there there were conversations among adults of like so do you think they're going to let priests marry first or do you think they're going to let women be priests first? Like <laughs> <one> or the <laughs> this other. Is sort of like, you know, a fun thing to talk about over some beers. What do you think they're like, they're going to need to do. So I mean, I did hear it framed this way. Okay. So we don't have enough priests. Which one do you think they're going to do? And, and I, my mom and other women, I would hear them say they're going to let men marry first or before they're going to let women like that's, that's what's going to happen. But <laughs> I am curious about your just your thoughts on celibacy, you know, personally, I, I do see that it really limits who joins the priesthood, I imagine, since it, that's a, a whole commitment, right to a, a lifestyle. but on the other hand, I do like I do see whether it's sisters or priests or brothers, I do see the value of like devoting all of your energy to your mm-hmm. community and to your call and I think especially after having a family, <laughs> realizing mm-hmm. how much that takes my time and energy away from other things. So I do see the value of that. And I'm, I'm just curious if, about your thoughts on that.
2: So I would, I mean, the priesthood needs to be reformed. So one aspect of reform is gender equality, but so much of the priesthood needs to be reformed in that Yes, priests should be allowed to marry. Uh, you know, it's sort of like the church is inserting itself into the personal discernment of people being called to serve as priests. So it's legislating that instead of allowing. And, you know, let's be honest. I mean. Priestly celibacy, I think it came about in the 12th century. Hmm. So, uh, and it was because of property was passing out of the churches. So, you know, it it started to happen for a practical reason. Although bishops, I believe were celibate before, but priests didn't have to be celibate until the 12th century and to protect the property passing to the wife and kids. And then it becomes a, then it gets theologized into something. But if you, so if you look at the long history of the church, Priests were actually not celibate for longer than they've been celibate. So it's wow. something that could be reclaimed. You know, that's mm-hmm. very important when theologians talk about tradition is, you know, reclaiming tradition that's been happening in the past. So that's a, that's a possibility. But I also think in certain ways, ah, part of the rub is, you know, it's about this clericalism and reforming that aspect, which is, you know, the priest has all of the, sacramental power and the governing power and so that is also a conversation that needs to be had in this next chapter of the church because i mean not to scandalize anybody but it doesn't have to be that way so the symbol right now is collapsed with governance it doesn't have to be collapsed with governance it doesn't even have to be collapsed with the sacraments. One of the most important things that the priest symbol, and you could argue too that the, the nuns do it when they're dressed in their habits, is what we are symbolizing. We are symbolizing a God who loves us. We're symbolizing the sacrifice of Jesus in the spirit out of the love for God. So they're that Trinitarian, canonic self pouring out. We're symbolizing that. We're symbolizing the body of christ being you know a pilgrim people on the way with god we're doing all this kind of so somebody's got to continue to symbolize that it doesn't necessarily mean that we have exclusive power over the sacraments it doesn't necessarily mean that we have exclusive governing power so you know there's a lot of way, like the church really has to enter into a deep discernment now you're talking about That would be a massive shift in structure.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: So we don't know how the magisterium is going to enter into that because you're right in the sense that, well, I mean, the numbers in the West are drying up. But the thing you got to remember is that in other places, the church is spreading like wildfire. Mm -hmm. So I think there are five countries in Africa where they're going to become Catholic countries. It's spreading so fast. And so, you know, it's a global church. How does the magisterium deal with that? Frankly, I mean, it's not easy and there's a growing schism. So, I mean, if I'm going to be cynical, I would say, yeah, I mean, they're going to open it up to married men because they're going to want to run out of men completely before they let women in. Right. (laughs) But as the person who has this vocation, they are going to let women in (laughs) before I kick the bucket. There we
1: go you heard it here first. <laughs> I mean I really hope they do because I think mm-hmm. about myself growing up Catholic and what that would have done for me to to see a, that up there role mm-hmm. modeled the options, the invitation to be part of it all, I think would have I would, all would have felt so different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also think you know, you've talked a lot about the Jesuits in particular and I did not really learn about Jesuits until I was a, an adult. And I mm-hmm. met some, I think people from Loyola and they were like, oh, Jesuits. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> Tell me. I was like, I know there were different orders of monks, I guess, but I didn't really, no one ever taught us. I don't know about right. EAM, but at CCD, no one ever was like, there's Franciscans and there's Jesuits and there's this and there's that. Yeah, And yeah. I also think that would have been a great tool to teach me that there were different paths within the church. Yes. So for those of our listeners who don't know exactly what a Jesuit is, can you explain? Because they, I think a lot of people who are raised Catholic just were never taught this stuff.
2: Yeah. So the Jesuits, it's the Society of Jesus, and they were founded by St. Ignatius in the 1500s. So Jesuit, Ignatian spirituality has a few sort of tenets to it. So one is that God is very much alive and communicating with us on an individual and communal level. So God's always trying to get our attention. Mm -hmm. And Ignatian spirituality has a way of engaging with that communication. So Ignatius teaches about one of the greatest gifts that he gave the church is the spiritual exercises, which is the foundational retreat that Jesuits do. And it really teaches you, how to discern spirits, what is coming from God and what is coming from the spirit of darkness, however you want to understand that. And so once you start to communicate, you kind of enter into Ignatian spirituality teaches you how to enter into this really vibrant, ongoing relationship with God. So there's different ways. Ignatius recommends different ways to pray. So um, the application of the five senses where you really put yourself in the scripture and bring them alive in order to gain the insight from the Holy Spirit on what God is trying to get you to understand. Mm-hmm. There are colloquies. So really uh, speaking directly to whoever it is in the Trinity that you maybe connect with the spirit, Jesus, God the creator, uh, maybe it's with the saints. So it's all about walking with God each day. And Ignatius himself was very much about properly ordering your desires. So in other words, when you are communicating with God, that you, the fundamental premise is that your life is for God. And for being in relationship with God. So whatever it is that's going to bring you closer to God is what you pursue. And whatever is going to lead you away from God, you let go of. And that is the concept of Ignatian indifference. So it's not really that you don't care, but it's that your whole existence is this relationship and loving God and helping God create the world that God desires. So um, that's kind of like a little crash course. Yeah, it's not going to get into everything, I'm sure. Yeah, like
1: that's kind of like the way of looking at it. That the Jesuits have. I appreciate that because I think, again, we talk about just, you grow up Catholic and you just accept things and you don't think about it as much. You're just like, this is how you do it and you do it and you go home. Do you think that you're coming to the church as an adult? Does that allow you to see and learn about the church? Do you think differently than had you been entrenched in it as a child?
2: Yeah, I think there's probably pros and cons, you know, Um, I definitely didn't have the Catholic guilt or the, you know, like I didn't go to (laughs) the Catholic school, you know, I didn't have that sort of baggage, Yeah. but but then, you know, the flip side is too, like I have a lot of learning to do and I wouldn't say exactly catching up, but I think there can be pros and cons either way. Oh, sure. So I don't know, it just kind of how it worked out. Sometimes I feel like, yeah, the Roman Catholic faith, it's, it is a faith that is for adults in certain ways. I mean, it takes a lot of maturity to understand the depth of what the church Mm -hmm. is trying to teach. So I think it like gets reduced down to rules when you're a child. And so you're basically losing really what it's about because the rules are what is easy to teach. Right. Instead of, you know, kids can sense the divine much more easily than we can instead of talking to them about you know, the gifts of the spirit and where did you see God today and you know like that's really what we should be doing but instead it right. gets
1: and maybe it's a little bit better now but I laugh because of course you say it's for the adults but I feel like all of our rites of passage come before we reach puberty and then we're never really asked to examine it again <laughs> right and that's kind of
2: why you know confirmation is supposed to be the restored right is baptism, Eucharist, confirmation, like, boom, like, all together. But then they started doing infant baptism, and so, you know, things started to get all spread out, Mm -hmm. and most kids get confirmed, and then they never go back to the church because they were never – they didn't get the connection piece right which is that's the piece that the church and actually you know from my own experience that's like the great gift of the roman catholic faith is that connection with the trinity but i do think catechesis of the good shepherd if you do have children try to find a catechesis of the good shepherd because mm-hmm. it does create that relationship it's a whole different way of catechizing than what you might have experienced when you were a kid. Yeah, that's great.
0: You know, as Stephanie and I were talking about this conversation and all the questions we had for you, I don't even know how to articulate this. But you know, I was thinking about at first, I was like, well, you know, is it a weird thing to, <laughs> to ask a, a priest to come on a show that is called lapsed. Even though and really it was a show that we were interested in our Catholic childhoods, but as both lapsed Catholics, it has kind of become about both those things, about growing up Catholic and also being a lapsed Catholic. And I was like, well is, is that a strange thing to do? But I mean, the interesting thing and as I, you know, I was reading some articles that you had been quoted in and things, and even talking to you today, I relate a lot to the sort of searching part. I mean, clearly I'm a lapsed Catholic. I'm also like fascinated with Catholicism to the point that I made a podcast about it. <laughs> <laughs> and in some ways You know, I think the searching, we have that in common. The difference is we left the church and you sort of leaned into the church, though, in the end, I mean, I guess you were excommunicated. Is that right? So so the church considers us more Catholic than you, which also makes zero sense, (laughs) according to the, the Vatican, I suppose. I don't. Yeah, I don't know. There's just something very interesting in that, and you, I'm curious what you do say to lapsed Catholics. I grew up thinking the line that priests were supposed to tell me is like, "You should come back to the church," <laughs> Think that that was it. I don't imagine that's what you were going to say, <laughs> but I'm curious for lapsed Catholics who leave, just what that conversation looks like, or if you have anything to say?
2: Yeah, know. I mean, it's a good question. And I guess after this recording, I would be curious to hear how your experience of me has been, you know, having a, <laughs> Roman, a female Roman Catholic priest and what that's been like for you. I'd be very curious. Uh, I guess what I would say to lapsed Catholics is first of all, you know, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry that the church has failed you to the point That you have left, especially if you have been wounded as somebody who is in the LGBTQ community, if you were somebody that was sexually assaulted by a priest or anybody, a lay person or none. But um, I I mean, I just so if that is the case, I just want to offer a very sincere apology on behalf of the church. And the other thing I guess I would say most importantly is The fundamental thing is to cultivate the connection with God. There is a God who has loved you into being and to find whatever it is that connects you with God so that you can nourish that relationship. And I guess the third thing I would say is, so this might be a little bit like the answer you were expecting, but I do have to give a plug because, uh, you know, there's actually a lot of life happening on the margins of the Roman Catholic Church, Mm. but people don't know about it. Mm -hmm. Things like Women's Ordination Conference, Future Church, Call to Action, Dignity USA, New Ways Ministries, the Association of Roman Catholic Women Priests, and the many communities that we have across the country and even throughout the world. There are people that are so psyched and on fire with their Roman Catholic faith, and they have created spaces that are fully inclusive, fully Roman Catholic, and just, you know, like a totally different ecclesiology that's egalitarian. They're living it out. And so I guess I would say if you do feel like there is part of you that is still Roman Catholic to go and explore those spaces mm-hmm. because you might find something that is nourishing to you. So I just encourage the exploration of other faiths too, you know, other denominations and to continue, continue seeking to connect with God. Because I do think like one of the things that I don't think the church really gets, and this may or may not be true in your Personal cases, but with other people that I've talked to is that the Roman Catholic Church has done a really good job of saying we are the ministry of God, even though it's a human institution. And so what has happened is many people have not just turned away from the Catholic Church. They've actually turned away from God. And to mm-hmm. me, that is the biggest scandal because it has severed the relationship with God who only just wants to be in love with us. That to me is the, it's immoral. It's, it's a mortal sin really. So I just en- encourage, encourage that.
0: Thank you. Yeah. Thank you.
1: Uh, on your website, you have a tab that's ministries. Yes. And on that tab, you have something that says old dog heaven.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, and you, nobody asked me about this. I can't believe you're oh, asking me. Def,
0: I thought of you <laughs> as soon as I saw that too.
1: Well, First, I sadly had to put my sweet 17-year-old pup down around Thanksgiving, and I still have like her shrine and her little photo and her ashes nearby. I love my old dog. Uh, I love old dogs in general. But I had to say that, I I know it might sound like an abrupt segue, but I'm thinking about (laughs) these radical ministries that that are out there, especially given the recent decrees from the papacy, you know, decrying people having pets (laughs) over over children. <laughs> so to see this tab on your website, I like, I need to know so much more. So I'm, I want to know before we say goodbye, not only, why is it not just important because I, I know dogs are important, mm-hmm. but like so important that you've put it under your ministries tab.
0: And I just want to say, thank you for asking that stuff. I have an elderly dog currently, who was my first ever dog I got on my own and now she's my elderly family dog. So yes, I am. I'm also here for this question. <laughs>
2: Yes. So it is a ministry to me because I do the work as prayer, Mm -hmm. as a, you know, collaboration with God in honoring creation. So it's not only for these dogs that I do have, but I, I actually do it as prayer for, you know, this larger breakthrough in our human consciousness that we desperately need in the way that we, in general, Relate to the natural world. And so it's a practice that keeps me. I mean, I have to take care of them every day. I have to put a lot of resources because they're all very elderly when I adopt them. And so they're sick and they have medical needs. You know, it's also a way to keep me focused out of myself. I mean, it's easy as a single celibate to just be completely internal all the time. So being in touch like mentally with people who care for animals for a living. I mean, that's like part of what they're doing is interacting with animals and and stewarding them and shepherding them. So it's a way that I, I feel like I can give back, especially to God's call to care for creation. I love it. It's very meaningful ministry to me. And, you know, giving them hospice care and really all the responsibility around that, that also provides me with some perspective. Oh, my gosh, the whole euthanasia question. And I mean, I just go through absolute hell when it comes to that part. You know what I mean? You know, if you are a person who believes in the value of the sanctity of life, and then, you know, you have to choose to end this, creature's life because is it really the best thing for them and when mm-hmm. is the time mm-hmm. and it is like this power of this holy power that you have over this creature i mean it's just really it's a deep deep spiritual walk for me and they teach me so much about love and mm-hmm. compassion and patience and <laughs> fun and you know just what matters it means a lot to me
1: i love it who do you have with you now yeah, I sorry. have Rocky
2: and Uncle Max.
1: <laughs> <laughs> My quirky Uncle Max.
2: Perfect. Yep. Oh. So I hope someday that I can have a little piece of property and I would love to have a, a sanctuary and it mm. would, will be called Old Dog Heaven. You just have 25, 30 dogs.
0: <laughs> oh, I love that so much. <laughs> Well, this feels like actually a good segue into the collection basket for this week. We yes. had sort of, yeah asked you if you had someone in mind.
2: I love that you guys do this. Yes. I encourage people to make a donation to Mercy for Animals. It's dedicated to working for the dignity of factory farmed animals in particular, Mm. and one of their most important programs is that they send investigators into factory farms. And I just cannot imagine the courage and intestinal fortitude of these people (sighs) who have to do the very thing that they are trying to stop In order to stop it. Mm. And so I've been a a supporter of theirs for quite a number of years, and I encourage people to to check them out mercyforanimals.org. Great. And we'll link to that in our show notes for sure. We will.
1: If people want to hear your homilies or to learn more about you, where can they do that? Yeah, thank you. FatherAnn.com. I'm also on
2: Instagram, and I just got on Twitter. Uh, The handle is at Vatican Reject.
0: <laughs> I love it so much.
2: <laughs> um, yeah, and you can find me on YouTube as well. Oh, and I am on Facebook. The dreaded Facebook. Uh, yeah. There's certain <laughs> people you could only connect to there. <laughs> yeah.
0: That's what keeps us there too. Uh-huh.
2: Oh, can I plug my Patreon? Oh please yes, I was gonna I, just I actually just set up a Patreon so because I'm excommunicated I get if I were a man, I would be fully supported by the institutional okay. church. But as a woman, I am not. I'm making a go at being a full-time priest. And Patreon is one of the ways that you can support me. You will receive content, but you also support my work as a priest reformer. Wonderful. And that's patreon.com slash
0: Father Anne. Great. Well, Father Anne, thank you so, so much for joining us. This was has just been lovely talking with you.
2: It's been great. Thank you very much. I'm I'm very grateful for the time to be with you both. Thank you. Oh,
0: oh, wait. Wait, oh. we have to do our sign-off Steph. Oh, I was just so excited. Yes. I know. <laughs> uh, if you don't mind it, if it's not too blasphemous, <laughs> Father Anne. Uh, also with you. And also with you, Anne. <laughs> and
2: with your spirit. Yeah, you right. guys.
0: <laughs> we are so bad at that one. That's sort of the joke. We are. The worst at that one. You can tell when we stopped going to church because I get that one wrong every time. Sorry, I've ruined so many Catholic weddings.
2: (laughs) Blurting things out.
0: I'll tell you, I'll give
2: you my final blessing. I do open the mass with the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But when I end the mass, I end it with, may almighty God bless you in the name of the lover, brother, sister, and friend.
1: Oh, I love it. I like that
2: one. Well, thank you both so much. I really appreciated it. It's it's great.
0: Yeah, thank you. Thank you for
1: what you said at the beginning. It's something I I think I've thought but hadn't put into words yet that this, it's a strange space that we're living in, having a conversation and Mm -hmm. amongst having left, but it's for the people like us that still want to talk about it. It's important. It really is. We appreciate your engaging with us because I know some people wouldn't want to. <laughs> yeah. We've lo- yeah. We've heard that in some of our reviews. <laughs> right. We, we
0: have. <laughs> Let me tell you about negative just reviews. Say, I'm sure you know nothing about that. <laughs> we just laugh. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. You use the term ministry at the start to describe our podcast. That struck something in me. So thank you. I really appreciate yeah. that.
2: It's important and continue doing it. It's really, really important. Thank you. Yeah, thank you both very much. Let's keep in touch.
0: Yes, let's. I would love that. Thank you, Father Anne, so much for joining us.